Guys, hey everybody, we want to welcome everybody to an episode of X5 Podcast. And uh, man, we have got a room full of people today. Um, you know, guys, when I think of comedy, I think of one place here in Birmingham called the Star Dome over in Hoover, Alabama. And we're lucky enough today to have the owner of the Star Dome, Mr. Bruce Ayers, in the house. So let's welcome Mr. Bruce Ayers. How are you, everybody? How's it going, Bruce? <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about this for you guys. You know, the, the ones that I've seen so far have been a lot of fun. And uh, let me tell you, folks, this is the coolest place you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, all the really good stuff. I mean, there's curved monitors in there. These, <laughs> these guys have spared no expense, uh, so this is going to be great. And uh, I think the whole series of what you guys are doing, what you're planning, the kind of people that you're going to have on the show, this thing's really going to take off. So jump on board now, folks, and... Uh, Plug in whatever you got to do, but this is the ticket. Right That's here. all we needed. Thank you. See y'all. See y'all next week. Yeah. Cassio, you notice he said "gonna have" on the show. We're gonna <laughs> have. Gonna have. It's just very clear. He's not just, I can't hear Matt. Well, listen. I mean, I'm going to start it off right here. We got we got Matt Davis and we got uh, Cassio. You don't even know Cassio. Imagine Mitchell. not being the most famous Matt, Matt in Matt. Alabama. <laughs> Pretty bad from my part. Well, I'm like, I'm a comedian. At the Stardom, I have this little room called the Broadway Room, which is our side stage. And the side stage has been the home of a lot of comics where they first started out. And I remember... I don't remember what year it was, but I had this guy uh, from six, six? 96, little guy, he had a hat, and he goes, uh, my name's Matt Davis, I'm going <laughs> to do some impressions, uh, and he did an impression of the Indian guy at a... Uh, at a just uh, something Kim, racist, Kim, Kim, convenience know? store. <laughs> so that's where he started. And then Matt was was uh, back in those days was was on Rick and Bubba. You know, he was really really popular. And when he was in that Broadway room, he was funny as hell. Yeah. But then I take him out of the Broadway room <laughs> and I put him on the big stage, and he would suck. <laughs> and I remember, so I remember we were in the back hallway and I put my arm around him. I said, Matt, if you can ever be funny in this big room, you're going to be famous and a big star one day. And, and as you uh, can see, I haven't. I was never funny. No, no, no. But th these two guys in the early days of the stardom, you know, were pretty influential and they've done a lot of things uh, for us. But, um, you know, we go back. You know, we started to stardom. We moved into the stardom of September of 93, but we actually opened the club in October of 83. And I'm going to just bring you through the process because people always say to me, well, how'd you get in comedy? How'd you get in comedy? We were in the nightclub business. A buddy of mine named Don Lipscomb opened a club called The Cobblestone on Morris Avenue 
1973. Back then, the Mar- Morris Avenue was the place. I mean, it was the entertainment mecca of Birmingham. That's where all the entertainment was. So 73, 74, 75, I mean, it was rocking. I mean, it really was. And I had another job, and I was working there part-time helping Don. But what happened to Morris Avenue was, <clears throat> think of Underground Atlanta, how that was, and Morris Avenue was, I mean, so many cool places. But what happened, there was a murder down there. It was safe down there, and then all of a sudden this happens. And it kind of killed it. So then what happened is all of the clubs that were down there started moving up to Southside. A buddy of mine named Roland Sherman. Roland was the coolest guy. He He was a photographer. I mean... And he was from New York, but he opened up Joe Bar, which was one of the first bars on Southside. It was right there on the circle. So you had Joe Bar, you had Dugans, and all of the action was there. At that time, I had, I was still working as a salesman, but then in, uh, I guess it was 78, these buddies of mine, they were all hockey players, and one of them was a doctor named Tommy Tucker, but the hockey players were Phil Roberto. That's when the Birmingham Bulls were in town. Oh, yeah. So they came together, and they opened up this club called Brent Woods. Now, Brent Woods <clears throat> was a disco, and it was right when Saturday Night Fever came out. Oh, and I swear, that was the highlight in the heyday of nightclubs and everybody wanted to come out and dance you know so everybody had the shirts on but you know back then we'd get busy at four o'clock in the afternoon that was happy hour they weren't worried about drinking and driving they were just they were ready to party so then we'd go and then we were a private club we could stay open till six o'clock in the morning so it was just crazy but not only us but back at that time back in the late 70s like i said the heyday of nightclubs there was flanagan's there were so many discos and regular bars i mean that's where people went to meet people nowadays you don't have any clubs like that you know, it's YouTube, it's this, and it's this, and it's this. So, so many people were going out. So what would happen back in those days when you owned a club, you know, trying to attract that crowd, you'd come up with some crazy promotion. Like what I had was ladies drink free from seven to nine. You know, so we do, we do that on, we do that on Tuesday <laughs> night. We wouldn't let the guys in until nine o'clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then the guys yeah. come in at nine o'clock. The girls been drinking free from seven to nine. Figure it out. No yeah. wonder you're successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I'll tell you, you're not wrong. So like me and this guy right here, we play in a band, which we, me and you've talked about. And we have learned that if you want to be successful, whether it be a club or a, a band, you better be able to cater to the girls because the guys are going to come to where the girls are. Yep. You let the guys in. What about gay bars? Well, <laughs> that's a different story. That's for another. That's for another another night. But like when you do that, you do promotions like that. It's they're so successful because you bring the girls in. The guys are just going to pile in right after. Well, it and it was all about the promotions. It was uh, 1978. <clears throat> Birmingham never had male strippers. We brought the first male strippers. You know, you're looking for anything for a promotion. So we decide we're going to do this. Well, the police find out about it, and they come over, and we have a meeting with them. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Yes, sir. Okay. So the first night we have it, and it's ladies only, 
you know, and all the guys got to wait outside before they do it. I swear to you, it was nuts. I bet. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. The places where they were supposed to stick the dollars, it was... <laughs> that was the name of the I show. Mean, it was nuts. I mean, I mean, it was other places. So anyway... <laughs> After that, there's all over town. This happened at Brentwood. Cops come again. You can't do this. Yes, sir, I promise you. So uh, the other (laughs) fellow who was the manager with me and everybody who's around my age will know this guy. His name was Jimmy Vines. So, So I go to Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, you stay at the door. Now, listen, if you see the cops coming... Give me the signal because I'm going to take all these guys out the back door. So we're about halfway through the show and I'm up on stage emceeing and Jimmy's going. So I take these seven guys in G-strings out the back door. <laughs> so who's waiting at the back door? Oh. It's the cops. <laughs> up against the wall. So you got seven guys in G-strings. <laughs> no, not me. I, great. I, they take him to jail. Now imagine this. It's 11 o'clock on a Friday night. You're in a Birmingham jail. <laughs> <laughs> it, took us, uh, it took us two hours to get him out. And, uh, <laughs> anyway. What were the charges? Indecent exposure or something well, like that? Well, whatever. Yeah, some right. trumped up stuff. No, but they, but, but they, we got him out. So anyway, wrote, I'm going to... <laughs> they wrote, come on, man. Yeah. What were the charges? <laughs> so Brentwood's... I mean, it was awesome. But then after about a year and a half, it started fading. You know, you had all these other clubs. So we wanted to come up with another idea. John Travolta just comes out with another movie, Urban Cowboy. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we opened this place called Cassidy's, where a little bit of Texas has come to Birmingham. <laughs> Y'all were making all your business moves based on what John Travolta yeah, did. Like, in at that time, yeah. And killing it. So, By the way, Stardom's about to have Scientology night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so to open it up, I said, let's do some live music. So I find this little band. They weren't they they were from not far from here. I'm paying them two grand. The tickets are six bucks. Jesus. I can't give these freaking tickets away. <laughs> you might have heard of these guys. Alabama. Oh my god. Oh, it what? was it was a year before they made it. Okay, I remembered Jeff and Randy. They were just the nicest, yeah. nicest guys you ever wanted to meet, but nobody knew who they were. And uh, um, so a year later, they came and, yeah. and did that. So it, the other part of that story is, you know, in Urban Cowboy, the whole thing's about the bull. So we wanted to get a bull, and Gillies thought that they had all the rights to the bulls and all this crap. So I found some guy in Silicaga. He made us a bull. So then Gillies... (laughs) He made us a bull. Gillies Gillies sued us. What? The New York Times gets hold of that. There's there's this thing in the New York Times about us and Gillies, which I thought was kind of crazy. People started calling me to buy our bull. So I sold the first bull in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that urban, uh, urban cowboy lasted about, in Cassidy's, about a year and a half. Then the next one, we changed it again, it was a meeting place. So I called it Singles. Meet me at Singles. We did all of these different promotions. And I mean, it was just fun. What year is this, probably? This is uh, 82. 82. Okay. Okay, so then 
the next move I was going to have is I was going to start doing more live entertainment. So I went to Atlanta to look for a band. But somebody told me about this club called The Punchline that just opened. So I go in there, and it's comedy. But the thing that got me was a waitress was going by with a tray of frozen drinks, and I'm going, it's couples, right. you know, and I, w- I was looking for something that- It's in twos. Be, Everything's in twos. Would be sustainable. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right, so uh, I call uh, Southeastern Attractions. I don't know if you guys uh, I know, know that. I know that Southeastern. It was Bunky yep. and them, yeah, and yeah. Uh, they booked my first comedy show. And on that first comedy show was J. Anthony Brown. Wow. So we did it. We tried it. And, you know, we said, all right, we're going to give this a try. So we started doing it on the weekends. So the first show that I booked, okay, this is the first show that I booked, we had about 150 people in the club, and the first guy goes up, his name was Rob Cleveland, African-American guy, funny, nice guy. So the next guy to go up, nobody's ever heard of this guy, nobody's ever seen this guy, he goes up, absolutely kills. The funniest thing that anybody in that room has ever seen, I promise you, it was James Gregory. Oh yeah. Wow. So That's wait a minute, mom's now we'll yeah. get this right now, James Gregory's the feature act. He's some in the middle. Wow. He's in yeah. the middle. So I'm going, Great. he's the middle act. Yeah. My chest is, boom. This is going to be so damn good. <laughs> the next guy to go up. Now, now, let me just say this before. Say his name. He, he, I will say his name. Great guy. I love the guy. He had never been in the South before. Call him out. He's, a, he's from New York. His name is John Mendoza. Yeah. Oh, here's, yeah. His opening, oh, wow. here's his opening line. I'm from fucking New York. I don't even know if I like you fucking. I mean, it would smash right now. And, if you uh, did it now, it'd smash. Yeah, it would. Yeah, but after that, so that that's how it started. Then yeah. the next week, we had this guy. The guy, my, the guy who's booking a club, guy named Chris Tepeda, says you got to go pick this guy up. He's really nervous. He's from Pittsburgh. He's never been out of Pittsburgh before. Go pick him up. So I go pick this guy up. He's kind of a smart ass. He comes <laughs> and he's doing his show and it's all these signs, like signs, you know, like uh, traffic signs and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. Dennis Miller. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Get so out of here. But the thing was, that was not the right place to do comedy because it's more like a singles place. So we decided to, eventually we sold that club and then... A lot of the partners didn't want to do it, so there was only three of us, and we had like no money, you know. So somehow we scrounged up fifteen grand, and there was a place at the end of the Red Mountain Expressway, and there was a hotel there called the Terra House Motel, and in that hotel they had taken out three of the rooms and made it a banquet room. Yeah. yeah. So we went there and rented that place. So in the beginning, nobody knew anything about the comedy club. There was no, the only, you didn't know any comics. The only comics you know, you've seen them on The Tonight Show. So our sign outside, we had this big sign. My opening night, the sign said, Joan Rivers. Not a period. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we had like uh, all these guys. The shows were good, but nobody knew who they were. And the guys were talking about L.A., New York. And and it was kind of like that in the beginning. It was funny shows. But then 
Thanksgiving week is where it all changed. On Thanksgiving week, uh, we had these, the headliners were these two guys named Mac and Jamie who were really good. And we had this middle act that uh, Chris, who had booked the club, said, you got to go pick this guy up. So I go pick this guy up at the bus station. He's six foot five, African-American guy. We just hit it off right when we met. So right before he's going up on stage that night, I said, listen, can you do me a favor? <clears throat> There's a friend of mine in the audience named Andy Versiglio. Him and his dad own the Piggly Wiggly stores. <laughs> Would you wish him happy birthday? And he goes, sure. So he goes up there and he goes, and he goes, so what is there, Mr. Piggly, Mr. Wiggly? He does 30 minutes yeah. on Piggly Wiggly. And the crowd goes nuts. Because it's local. They know that it's local. They know what it is. The next night, there's eight ladies sitting in the front. And he goes, well, what do you all do? We work the cosmetic counter at Rich's. He does 30 minutes on cosmetics. And everybody's going, who is this guy? Who is this guy? We love this guy. And it was Sinbad. Ah. It was Sinbad. Sinbad never made it had never made it anywhere else before then and i said to him i said listen these people love you come on i want you to come back and be a headliner in february i just brought him he was the only one anybody was talking about when's that big guy coming when's he coming i booked him 12 weeks the first year before he got on television yeah and then once he got 12 on television 12 weeks i mean he was, <laughs> the, the, house only, guy. He was the only one that people know, right? were, people were buying tickets to so he got us going. He got us going. And then it was him. And then it was James Gregory. And then as time went on, Sinbad was getting more popular and more popular. And then, you know, he, he couldn't work as much. So that's where this guy from Cleveland uh, was there. And, I, and you know, he, he was a good guy. And we, you know, we... For some reason, we just became such good friends with him. And I said to Steve, I said, you know what? I want to give you a shot, man. I think so. <clears throat> first time Steve Harvey ever headlines. Here's a part of the story that a lot of people don't know. I also had an opening act that was really good that I was bumping up to the, be the, his first time to ever feature. So here's the show. At a local opener. Please welcome to the stage, Carrot Top. He's got three trunks, and he's just funny as shit. Wait, so, you got Carrot Top in front of Steve Harvey? Yeah. <laughs> so Steve, Steve Harvey, Harvey, Steve Harvey, Harvey comes up day to... Would yeah. lose his mind. I know, but back then he goes, well, you got to have to clean all this yeah. shit out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today you'd say that. So then, <laughs> so then, when you're the headliner, you get to do the radio. Yep. So the next day, I take Steve and we go to Win Radio. I'm pretty sure it was Dave Darnell. They had these 1077. They had these big it. knobs and yeah. So he goes in and Dave's talking to him. Yeah, uh, my name's Steve Harvey. I have twin daughters. <laughs> I'm from Cleveland. I'm going on. So he comes out and I grab him by the lapels. I go, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I said, you got to get in there and you got to kick the rest. You got to take over. Take some, tell some jokes, man. Move some tickets. The day I was on the show with my wife, when he broke down, when he came over and hugged me, he said, he whispered in my ear, you remember that day at the radio station? Yeah. Never forgot it. Yeah. Wow. So that was. Uh, That's huge, man. That was cool. It is. But you know, when you're going through that. You're just, it's not about that. It's just, this is 
this is what you do and this is how we did it and uh you know over the years you just did it out of desperation and you really felt like he was good enough to be a headliner yeah I at mean, the moment yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's what we were doing you had all of these guys you know trying to figure it out and you had no competition at that time well, the competition we More had bands probably, but I mean, no, like, we had the movies. Yeah, we had people. Yeah. We had people staying in the backyard barbecuing. Yeah. You yeah. know, they. What we had to do back then was, we used to say, "You got to sell the sign." And what I mean by that is, because most of the time you'd have people that they've never heard of, so you can put their names up there, but nobody knows who the hell they are. No more yeah. But yeah. what you wanted to do back then, and what we were trying to do, was sell the experience of coming to the show. It's always going to be funny. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And then back in those days, the what really, really, there was two things. There was when you got a good morning show like Rock ninety nine, and with you guys and. When you got it on the show, it was great. But back then, in the early days, print was very, very important. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy, there was an entertainment writer for the Birmingham News who, his name was Dennis Washburn. And he used to write a column every week. And for some reason, he took a liking to us. And um, he wrote something about us every week, about the experience and about that. And then the other thing was that helped us out was that first week that Sinbad headlined, Tom York from the morning show saw the show. And he said, hey, Bruce, would you like to bring Sinbad up and do the morning show? Well, we brought him up, and for 35 straight years, they'd have our comics on every Friday morning. So we had a lot of help. That's great. From other was that people. free? They let you do it for just yeah. for their entertainment value. Back yeah, then. because back then, when you would bring the comics on a radio station, that's yeah. entertainment for them. That right. was content. They don't have to work as hard. So yeah. we were, you know, we're, we, we, were, we were we were <laughs> we were all just trying to figure it out. What do we do? Right. <laughs> What's interesting though, like hearing you describe it that way, because I've been in 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 countries where like stand up is is developed in the last say fifteen years, right? And like I was in India when there were like maybe 50, 60 comics in the entire country. And now, of course, that's not the case. There are thousands, right? right? But it was still very, very new. And those are the stuff you're describing. Those are like the questions and the things that they were doing like in real time then. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to figure out how do we train? How do we explain <clears throat> what this thing is that we're doing that we like that, to do that we love to the audience, you know, the the population at large you know how do we get it out there and of course it's not radio it's youtube and and yeah, different it's, things like it's, that it's just different now but it's but very much the similar this they don't know they're trying to figure it out and struggle this would pop this would work mm-hmm. and it's not some big uh you know overarching plan that they put into place it's like we tried three thousand things and this one worked you know and yeah. it's kind of yeah. the similar <clears throat> that and, and that's what it was because <clears throat> Like I said, when it first started, the only place you ever saw a comedian was either on the Ed Sullivan Show or the Tonight Show. Yeah. You know, and then probably in the late 70s, it was, um, you know, Saturday Night Live, you would see something, and then HBO Young Comics Special. And so then you'd see some of these guys. And for those guys back then to get the HBO Young Comics thing, 
that was huge. That was it. I yeah. mean, yeah. it that was Tonight Show, or that's it was. It. It, and so, being on the Tonight Show <clears throat> was a big deal. Let me jump ahead to uh, March of '93. <laughs> I know by, where we're going. <laughs> by that, but there's 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 another part to the story. Yeah. So March of '93. By this time, Carrot Top is a headliner because he told me he said, "Listen, I got more trunks in the car." <laughs> so Carrot Carrot Top's uh, <laughs> more trunks. I love that. That yeah. Scott. Oh, I can see him doing that. Too. Yeah, that's exactly time. what he did. He, yeah, he, he most said, Come on, like, I got more time. He's like, I got more trunks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we booked him, and he was headlining. And uh, the day before, it was Kicks 106. Oh, I love that stuff. Kicks 106. We did a live remote the day, the Friday, March 12th. Okay, so he's on the show. We're all on the show, and everything's great, <laughs> except it starts snowing. It starts snowing that day. Okay. So <clears throat> we're sold out for the weekend. We're going to make some good money. We're all excited. By three o'clock, they closed the they closed the freeway. We're oh, done. Shit. So me and my daughter Dina, we get well. Let's go home and have a party. Get some Crown Royal. Get a couple <laughs> cases of beer. And we go home like everybody else. And it's a beautiful snowstorm, lightning, thunder, all that shit. <clears throat> yeah. Next morning at eight o'clock, hey Bruce, phone rings. Hey Bruce. It's the Homewood Fire Department. Oh. We got bad news and really bad news. Your club's on fire. We can't get there. Oof. So I'm going to shorten the story. But so somehow Fox Six came and got me. I went down there and we're flat. So, but there's another. Here's the other part of the story. The whole shopping center was. Or was uh, it, just... it was like 18 businesses. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other part of the story. Carrot Top was scheduled to be do his very first Tonight Show. The Tuesday after that. Oh, no. Oh, shit. He's freaking out. So he's got to call Jay Leno on Monday to tell him, here's what happened. My stuff got burnt up. So on Monday night, here's what Jay says on The Tonight Show. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to have this kid carrot top, but all his stuff got burnt up in some rinky-dink. <laughs> <laughs> so... All these guys, Blake Clark, all these guys who knew Jay called and go, man, that was a great club, yada, yada, yada. So the next day, me and Cheech, or my wife, we're running around with the fire department trying to figure everything out and insurance companies. We come home, and back then, nobody had a cell phone. It was all answering mm -hmm. machine. On my answering machine was this message. Hey, Bruce, this is Jay Leno. Listen, man, I am so sorry about what I said. If you guys ever, ever reopen the club, I'll do some commercials for you and help you do it. Wow. And wow. when we reopen the club from the set of The Tonight Show, hey, this is Jay Leno. I want to let you know that Bruce and Cheech are going to reopen their comedy club. Please go see him. He promises he's not going to burn this one down. <laughs> <laughs> and then Carrot Top from there just went. And, I, you know, of all the guys that have come through the club, I mean, I'm proud of so many of them, but hardly, I can't be any prouder than Carrot Top. You know, he's been in Vegas about 20 years. Yeah. His own room in Vegas, people will die for that. And let me tell you, if you've never, if anybody out there, if you haven't seen him, we went to his show about a year and a half ago. It is the funniest, cool, and it's not just props, he's yeah. smart. 
you know, if he wasn't really, really smart, there ain't no way he kept himself relevant. His stuff is really good. He's really funny. I mean, it is a great show, and that's why he's still, to this day, headlining in Vegas. And, I'm very, very self-deprecating, too. He yeah. gets yeah. He yeah. gets who he is in, war, in the world. Here's all the jokes everybody's making. Yeah. So when, we went and saw him the same thing, and we were like, let's go see Carrot Top. And the... You know, the first 30 minutes is him doing a stand-up show. Yeah. And making fun of himself, showing pictures of himself. Like, <clears throat> it was, I mean, and everybody was doubled over dying. How big is the venue he does out there? Huge. It's a It's a casino at, what's the one with the... Uh, it's Luxor. The Luxor. Yeah, and and yeah. I, I don't know, it's probably 700 seats. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. You know, and it's nice, and it's his, and he's got a great backstage that, uh, you know, we were there... And we were all there, and somehow, I guess he put us in a special seat because right in the middle of the show, he's, he, he introduced us, and all of a sudden, out of the ceiling comes a bottle of Crown Royal. Yeah! <laughs> Does it really? It's six, six shot glasses. Let's have a shot. You know, That's, so, uh, That's awesome. No, I was actually in Carrot Top, your club is where I saw him for the first time. The, the very first time I ever the saw old, him, the, was, yeah, was, was at your club. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was introduced to him. And then, of course, like you said, he exploded. Then he was all, all over television. You know, you just saw him everywhere. Tonight show, I think he had a special. I mean, it was just all over the place. But the, yeah. I remember the first time I saw him was at your club. Uh, most of the comedians that I've seen, the first time I saw and him was crazy. at your club. It's crazy. He survived all comedians ragging on him yeah. for years. He still survived and had that contract out there with the at, in Vegas. Yep. It's because he's really, really smart. You wouldn't, you know, because of his act or whatnot, you may not think that, but he is sharp as shit. He's smart, a great guy, you know, and, and it worked for him. He knew how to make it. He knew how to make it work. And I think with a lot of the comics, you know, through the years, especially now, you got to figure out what works for you. I'll give you another story. This was about uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. And I had this guy named um, Phil Barner who would book some acts for me and whatnot. And he calls me up and he goes, listen, I got this guy from St. Louis. Uh, I really think he's going to be good. Give us a chance. And because I did some other stuff with him before, I said, okay. So he comes with this guy. And I'll tell you who he is in a minute. But what they did, they went out. They were their own street team. They went to all the clubs. They went here. They went there. They were doing all this stuff. And the guy is Lavelle Crawford. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> he came in town early and had a street team. Oh, dude. Well, he was the street team. Yeah, it was him. You know, so the first couple of years, he was always funny as shit. Always. But they didn't know who he was yet. They didn't know who he was yet. So about three or four years later, HBO had this thing called the Lucky 21 Club. And what the Lucky 21 Club was is HBO picked the 21 best clubs in the country, and they said, you send us your funniest guy. We're going to have a contest. Whoever wins the contest, HBO special. So the guy calls me up and he goes, who's your funniest guy? Lavelle Crawford. Lavelle Crawford? Who the hell's Lavelle Crawford? Are you supposed I said, hold it, wait a minute. Did you call me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, did you call me and ask me? He goes, Yeah. Lavelle Crawford. Well, Lavelle goes, wins the deal. HBO special. 
bing crushes crushes you know and then when you see guys that deserve it who are that funny and here's another thing about Lavelle Lavelle Crawford nobody nobody can write like he can and what I mean by that is every single time he comes it's a different hour. There's sometimes when he's there for five shows that three of the shows are completely different. You know, most guys, you know, they they got to work their tail off to write in the right. Yeah. But some mm-hmm. people, and he, I've never met anybody quite like Lavelle that it just so funny. Just turns it out. Just turns it out. Turns it out. Turns it out. So he you know, would for, he would go to Century. I think Century Plaza. Yeah. And sit in the food court and fucking roast people. Yeah, really. <laughs> to promote the shows, I would go. People to that. would be like, "What?" And you know, they try to, bu- and he would just destroy people. <laughs> no microphone or anything. Just no, he would just <clears throat> and just to work. Like these are people I'm trying to get out to shows, and he would just log that amount of time, and he would hit you know any other place people were hanging out. Mm-hmm. Like he's known for that. That's wow. crazy. He would bust. He man, he busted. So his he had ass. Thursday, Friday, Saturday shows, and he would show up when and start promoting. Them. You know, Monday or Tuesday. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy. Well, here's another story. <clears throat> and if this is just how different people do things different ways, and uh, and this is a story about Rodney Carrington. Now, Rodney used to be managed by the same guy who managed Carrot Top, uh, Brad. Greenberg. Brad Greenberg, friend of mine, good guy. But when Rodney first started, he was Carrot Top's like opening act, you know? Rodney was completely different. Rodney was uh, from Texas, singing cowboy and whatnot. And I remember the first time he ever came to the club. First time he ever, and you know, for when you own a comedy club and you see comedy every single night, to get somebody to really get you. My daughter, Dina, and I were sitting in the back, and all of a sudden, Rodney goes up there, and I swear to God, we both about peed in our pants. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was the greatest thing. It was just great. But Rodney, very, very smart guy. He, he was going around doing all these clubs, but he just felt like he needed to move forward faster. So he got, found a guy named Michael Greenstein. Greenstein. Michael had an idea that to take him out of the comedy clubs and put him in the honky tonks. He put him in the honky tonks. And here's Rodney who was making 500 a week. Now he's making 5,000 a week. And he just, he, he took a different path. Yeah, he's funny. And it just went through the roof. Rodney kept going and going. He had his own TV series, you know, so many specials. You know, now he's selling out, you know, casinos every single night. So when you see guys who take a little bit of a different path, like I know this one young guy who started in Birmingham. He goes on a European. He's he's traveling all over the world. He's in China. I don't know where the hell he is. You know, he grows a beard. And, you know, I mean, who the hell is this guy? We need to have him on the podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, talking about, you're talking about Rodney Carrington. So we were playing. No, he he had. On, yeah. <laughs> he, he must have been performing at, at, the, at your club. We were playing at Pub 261 one night. The, our band was. And I'm sitting there playing. And there's a guy sitting in the audience. 
and I'm looking, I'm like, that's that's Rodney Carrington. What is he doing in here? And I'm like, no, that's not who that is. I'm just I'm seeing somebody. And so we got done playing, and I come down, and sure as shit, it was it was it was Rodney Carrington, and it, like he was just the nicest guy, you know, off stage, on stage, like he. And I mean, he had us cracking up uh, the whole time he was there, man. But like I said, I, it's just funny just sitting there, and all of a sudden you look down, there's Rodney Carrington sitting in the audience, not paying attention to us at all, just in the bar. So I'm assuming he was he had to have been I guess performing. Oh, he was. Place. Yeah, he was. You know, he's, he's just a great guy, and uh, you know, they're just through the years. There's just been the joy for us, the joy for me in the club. The biggest joy is standing at the door or standing up on the top. Shows going on, people are just losing it, having a great time because it's the right act. Then, you know, being in the disco business, you know, the lights look good, this looks good, that the you create an experience for people that is so special. And I'm always frustrated because we gotta do it better. We gotta do this, or why that? And that's that's the passion that my family has, you know, because yeah. our club, it's my wife Cheech and I and my two daughters, Gina and Dana, and the four of us who work it, but that's our passion. And it gets frustrating when, you know, you don't have enough servers or you don't have this or you don't have that. Big and problem it, for you lately, I bet. Of course. I mean, and it's just it's it's just uh, part of it. But, um, you know, it's been awesome. It's really been awesome. Yeah. How do you think the club – how do you think the fire changed things? What if the fire would have never happened? Well – Because you're, you're in a better spot now. Would you agree with that? Well, a better it, layout of the club. Well, I mean, this club – I mean, and I'm, I would say this, no matter who owned it, this is really the coolest, one of the coolest venues for, for what we do. And <clears throat> here's how cool it is. <clears throat> Probably 15 years ago, you know, the improvs are the shit. They are, you know, they're the cool clubs. They're the, they're the venues. They're all this. But they weren't always like that. Probably 15, maybe even 20 years ago, it was in the, still in the 90s, the guy who was one of the big owners, Robert Hartman, called me up one time and he goes, listen, I got these investors. They're coming down and um, they owned a restaurant. I forget who they were, but they want to invest some money in the club and I want to show them what I want these clubs to look like. Can I bring them to your club? And they did. And that, we were the first, I think. That felt good. To man. take it to a, a higher level, upscale. And it just made sense. And then, I'm not saying we're the only ones, but we were one of the first, if not the first. But then, that seemed to be what caught on. You know, I mean, there's great clubs, like the clubs in New York that are, you know, little bitty places and all that stuff super duper but for places like where we are in the suburbs and whatnot it just seems to give them the experience of going so you know we're real proud of that yeah i mean matt can attest me and him don't be roping me into whatever starting let me hear what he says first uh <laughs> me and him starting there uh moving from the broadway room to the big room and then you first start going, hey, we're getting sent out. We're going to other cities. <laughs> you assume every club is like that. And yeah. just as a com comic, you go, hey, I'm working the punchline. The punchline's a great room. It's not the stardom as far as 
looks and size and presentation. And you think when I'm going out to all these other cities, man, if Birmingham's got this. Yeah, it's got to be. This is going to be insane. You go there and you go, we're in an Italian restaurant. And they move the chairs out. You know, they've scooted the plate. Like, it is... I tell everybody the start and people that come there. You, when I when I was touring more much and your friends start going, hey, "I'm coming to do the start on," you're like, "Well, you're not ready." I mean, it's go. a it's a huge stage. It's a huge theater. There's uh, there people are sitting High above ceiling. you and below yeah. you, and it's just a uh, it's a it's a different beast. And uh, I always think of like if I see somebody, I'm like, "Man, if you crush that room, I, I, I can trust you anywhere. I can." You can go anywhere with that. Well, you're not wrong, though, but like you said, just from a comedy standpoint, just being a patron, going to other cities and going to comedy clubs, going to your club and then going to places like Philly and going to those clubs, it's just like, you're like, oh, okay, this is where we're going to the show when you're used to coming to a, mm-hmm. to a show at a place like that. So The punchline was in Atlanta was the, the original one was like second home for me. Yeah. Right. Because I was, <clears throat> you know, hosting and house I'm seeing here and then I would go over there and do stuff. Um, and but before I was even doing that, like I went out on the one nighter run shit. I'll tell you a story. It's a story of Bruce Wayne saying. So, uh, we had been talking about me doing the road and doing more stuff, you know, right? Uh, and I shared this. I think one of the last times I actually uh, got to sit down with Brian Heffron and catch up a little bit because we were laughing about how impossible the scenario would be at that time or present day, right? But uh, they booked me on two weekends, right? The first run, if I remember correctly, was uh, something in like Dothan, like a Holiday Inn in Dothan or something like that, or outside of Do- Ozark, right. Ozark, Ozark, Alabama, yeah. Holiday Inn. My, I hope it has burnt to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and if it hasn't, we'll talk, we'll sort that out. Uh, and then I think I went from there to like Tallahassee, right? Oh, and then the God. next, then I came back, and then the next weekend. There was another um, Columbus Thursday, but I don't remember what it was. No, it wasn't Columbus, uh, but it was Johnson City, Tennessee. Oh, yeah, Johnson right? was a big one. Because that's where you want to go. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I do uh, the, the Dothan when I get there. It's a Holiday Inn. It's uh, it's packed. There's a football game on that everyone would prefer to be watching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just me and another dude, right? No one introduces me. I go up. I grab the microphone, <laughs> and I'm trying to say, welcome, everybody, and some guy from the back just yells, shut up, <laughs> like I hadn't said a word. That's when me and Matt Davis met. Yeah, yeah and that's how I met Cassidy. Yeah, and okay. we've been married ever since. <laughs> so I do that, whatever, and did do the other. Come back, and I, you know, we talk about it, and uh, I like, you know, I want to do it full time. You know, this is what I want to do. Right, and then he calls Brian Heffron, and then Brian Heffron goes, "All right, do you have a piece of paper? Here we go." And he just started listing cities I'd never heard of, and dates, and I think we put down like four months, five months, maybe of stuff, just all in one, whatever. And then Bruce looked at me. That's how they did it. I mean, that's how you got started. Bruce looked at me and said, "Don't fuck it up." That's what he said. (laughs) No, I said, "Don't embarrass the family." That is true. There's a difference. Yeah. There is. I think you Joe Brace told me not to fuck it up the first time. I you know, in the early days, the original punchline in Atlanta, man, it really was. I, I, The people that would come there because it's Atlanta, because it was a great 
club. You know, it was uh, owned by a guy named Ronnie D'Annunzio, <laughs> you know, uh, Dave and Krista Petta, you know, boys from Cleveland. Uh, but it was a great club. And that's, that was, I always give them credit for being our inspiration. It was, you know, it was awesome. Did you, did you think like when you started all this, like the success where you, where you guys are now? I mean, did you, did you envision that at all? Or Hell just, no. I mean, when we first opened, <clears throat> You know, I mean, it was really small. We weren't hardly doing any business. My partners wanted to close the club. I refused. I said, don't pay me. I mean, we were, I mean, we were scrambling. I had nothing. I just, it was my dream. I just believed in it. I had no idea where it could go. No idea. What was the capacity of the old club? 200. 200. Okay, here, here's, oh, wow. here, you're going to love this story. The first big act I booked. Well, the first big act I booked <clears throat> was Richard Belzer. At that time, Richard Belzer was in New York. Richard Belzer was Catch a Rising Star. Yeah. He was the MC, and that's the star. And so I had went to New York and I saw him and I just, <clears throat> I got to book this guy. So I booked Richard Belzer. So he's going to start on a Thursday. And I remember, and back then, when you got it, when you, it was print, you got a picture in the paper. It was big deal. So I'm looking at the Thursday paper. There's this big picture of Richard Belzer and the phone rings. Hey, Bruce, it's Richard. I can't make it tonight. Oh, oh no. You know, he didn't get on the plane or something, but it just, you oh, know, God. crushed you, you know? Did you ever want to be a comedian yourself? No. I was more the, um, I was more the producer, more the Ed Sullivan. I could be, I always wanted to be the MC or, you know, not the joke part. I mean, but I was the one putting this show together. And, you know, if I had to MC it or introduce the acts, or a lot of times, you know, when Sinbad would come or Steve would come, I'd go out and, you know, tell a story about them just to introduce them. Mm. You know, it was, it was, I, that's what I like to do. But no, I, I mean. You've always been the DIY guy, though. You've always done your own commercials. I can remember as a kid when you, the place to call when you have a date. The is, number to call when, when you have, you have a, date, a date. Yes. Four, four, four. Oh, and the reason I, for that was Andy Spinozzi. Yeah, Andy Spinozzi. You know, Andy, uh, he got all that stuff set up in my house <laughs> and all of that so I could do the commercials in my house. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I like doing all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I remember that as a kid, man. And that's that's you always did your own commercials and uh, I remember that phone number. Is that still you know, the phone number? Well, it's it's two oh five four 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 oh oh eight. It used to be nine four two. Yeah, <clears throat> but back then that was the only way they were going to get a ticket is they had to call that number and it so, rhymed. It was great. <laughs> well, that was the whole thing. The number now it's you know you got to go to the web page. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how has stand up booking stand up changed with the YouTube comics, the Instagram, the social media comics? It's uh, you know I remember when it first started, particularly your club was booking these names, and you're like hey, I don't know what they're going to do when they get in here, but they sold the damn place out, so well, where, where they're coming. That's the new the new thing. Yeah, is these people become famous on YouTube. And sometimes if you come and see a show that you hadn't followed them on YouTube, you're looking and you're going, huh? 
You know, and, and I'll give you a prime example is uh, Southern Mama. Darren, you know, a good guy, love him. Uh, <clears throat> but he became so popular, we started booking him at the club, and he was selling out everything. But people who didn't see it didn't understand it. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's the new, here's there's two new guys, the two hottest, well, the hottest guy in all of comedy right now, bar none, is Matt Reif. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you my Matt Reif story. He was 15 years old, and he was his mother was taking him around to comedy clubs, and he was doing the Atlanta Comedy Theater. I met him, <clears throat> met his mom, invited him to the club. He's been coming to the club for the last 10 or 12 years. And he was always working at it, working at it, and uh, never really got there. We had him in January. And he was just, it was just starting to happen, but it hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. And now, in the last three months, how he has blown up, it's more tickets than Dave Chappelle and, and, and Chris. Come on. It's just nuts. I'm so happy for him. You, you want to see people... You know, well, it's like so. He was at Stand Up Live what a couple of months ago. Yeah. Now he's coming to the BJCC in October, if I'm not mistaken. October so, 29th. Yeah, he's so, doing two shows at the concert hall. That's crazy. The contrast from going from a comedy. <clears throat> it's weird club. how people get a pop like that. It's, well, here's another one. I mean, <clears throat> there was a girl named Eunice Elliott. Uh, she used to be on uh, NBC 13. She's a comic, and Eunice would do um, our comedy classes and whatnot so in december she says to me she goes listen i i want you to meet this guy he um his real job he's a boudoir photographer not porn just play <laughs> classy pictures yeah, yeah so that's she, all i look at no but she yeah. said uh he and his husband live live on this farm in bessemer and during the pandemic, he just started going out in the yard. Chickens. With a chicken, talking to these animals. My wife cannot get enough right, of Hang on, let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> so I come and I meet him and I want to be a comedian. I've done this and this and this. And you have no idea. Right. You know? So we had this uh, <clears throat> girl named Emma Willem uh, come to the club in a small room. He went and opened up for her five minutes and it was okay. So then we had somebody else and uh, <clears throat> let him do 10 minutes. So then he comes to me and he goes, give me a chance in that small room, give me a chance. I said, okay, we'll book three shows. So my daughter Dina puts the shows on sale, doesn't tell anybody, somebody sees it. In 15 minutes, they sold out three shows. Jesus. Wow. So the people that came to the show, this is the crowd, it was white ladies, 30 to 35 to 50. Okay. okay. They come in. He kills them. They absolutely love it. Then he says, give me a chance in the big room. We announce it. He sells it out in two minutes. Jeez. Agent in L.A. named, um, can't think of his name right now. Anyway, he gets a hold of him, books him a tour around the country, sells it out in a week. His name is Matt Matthews. And it's one of those things where it's so hot, so many tickets, 
It's just that when you get that crowd that just loves you, they'll knock down doors for you. But if you're over here, you might not get it at all. So that's the whole thing of what, how the industry has changed, is if you're in this group, you're going to love them. If you're not, you're going to go, eh, it's okay, you know. So it's just different how it's evolving. Were you, were you first to give those guys a chance, or did you did you turn down some YouTube people and then just see them go somewhere else? And I think that we've all probably done it both ways. You know, yeah. you, sometimes you don't know, and and you know, sometimes there's acts that might do great for me, but might not do good over here. And you know, every every you could have a great comic in Birmingham, but you know, you bring them to Boston, and maybe not. And yeah. So you know, you just got to have a feel for your audience. So that's what we tried to do. Do you think you have a hard room for comics? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I mean, if you're not really, if you're new, you, a lot of people get intimidated. Yeah. At that, at that room. I think talking to other comics, that's what they, that's a good They, word, they get intimidated, but when you, when you really nail it in that room, it's a whole different thing. Oh, it's, you it's know, that, that's the thing. And you, you nail it every time now, you know, and it's just, you know how it feels, you know, so it's, uh, it's good. How does it feel? <laughs> yeah, how does it feel? Yes, yeah. He said it like a therapist. I'm doing some of your jokes. It's <laughs> smart. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> Matt, did he ever give you advice? What was the best advice Bruce Harris ever gave you? He told me to leave. <laughs> that was good advice. Out of here. Because uh, you are. He and I have had a. Bruce and I have had a bazillion conversations. Talks, yeah. yeah. You and I are way different styles. What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, you do impressions, apparently, oh, and I don't. Uh, but I, my favorite is uh, two things. One was like you started off with. You came to me and said, buddy, you're the king of the Broadway room. If it, only you were funny in this big room, it would be great. Um, That's advice I gave him when he first started, because I was like... He would come see me in like a punchline or saying, go, you... You're not being the guy we hang out with in the bar that's right. so goddamn funny. And you're that's, being that's comic. hard for, for every uh, yeah. every comic, is finding your voice and finding out that yeah. fine line of, yeah, I'm performing, but how... I'm doing this because everybody said I was funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then also... Because you have a great business mind, and I, I, I think it needs to be said, is why I brought it up, is he asked me one time if I wanted to be famous or make money. Do you remember that? And it was all about being clean, being able to work clean. Right. <clears throat> you can always be dirty later. Right. But if you can figure out how to work clean, you can make money, and there's dudes making tons of money that nobody knows their name because they're doing all these corporate gigs, smashing it, and you were saying, hey, I can work you with... Anybody, if you're clean, if you're right. dirty, I can only put you with the dirty guys. But so my my deal is because I'm sure Matt gets it. Anybody that's in the comedy business, people that try to get in, go what I'm I'm going to try to get in. What's advice? What's advice you give somebody that if they go, I'm trying to get into comedy. What advice would you give me? Well, I'll tell you a story about uh, this was a long time ago, but it was open mic night. Okay. So I'm sitting in my office, and my wife Cheech comes, man, you got to go see this kid. He is so funny. So I go out there, and it was Ricky Smiley. Wow. And Ricky just, 
the first time you go up on stage, it's usually not very good. But Ricky was funny. He had talent, but he was cursing a little bit. But then on the other hand, he's talking about uh, <clears throat> these church ladies and all that stuff. And I would just hammer to Ricky. You got to stay clean. You got to stay clean. You got to stay clean. And Ricky just to this day thanks me for that. And, you know, the the one thing about Ricky I'm so proud of is Ricky from Birmingham. <clears throat> what happened with him was we started booking him, you know, as an opening act and he was okay. But here's the story. <clears throat> the second time Steve Harvey ever headlined at the club, I went to Ricky and I said, listen, I got this new guy named Steve Harvey and I want you to open for him, but I don't, don't mess it up. I mean, I think this guy's going to yaddy yaddy. So back then it was Which like, is exactly uh, what a comic uh, was here. Right? So, no pressure. It's no probably uh, 1988, 1989, something around there. And back then everybody's wearing those cool track suits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Steve Harvey's wearing a suit. These were the Run cool DMC track suits. track suits. Right. So mm, Steve comes in and I go, hey, Steve, I want to introduce you to Ricky Smiley. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing? You know, and so then a little later, Steve goes to Ricky. He goes, listen, man, you know, if you're going to be working with me, if you don't mind, could you dress a little nicer? And so Ricky goes up and does his bit, okay, and introduces the feature act. Then I see him running out of the building, flying out of the building. He lived about 10 minutes away. He goes home, comes back with the suit on to, in, to introduce Steve Harvey. Yeah. When he introduced Steve Harvey, those two became like this. Right after that, Steve Harvey got, you know, the Kings of Comedy. Who went on the road with him? Ricky Smiley. Right? Yeah. And then Steve Harvey was doing the radio in Dallas. Who did he get to replace him? Ricky Smiley. Yep. So it was, that was a really nice combination with Ricky being clean, working it out. And you put them together. Well, yeah. they were, yeah, in your room, yeah. So I was, always thought it was interesting. Um, you get guys who, uh, there's, I don't know how it is now because w with the invention of social media comics, and I don't say that derogatory, it's just changed. Mm -hmm. But comics who, Claim the club doesn't get them. The man's holding them down, and I, I want to do my own thing, and they just don't get me over at the clubs and doing open mics, and i got to follow all these rules. Um, and I thought, well, one part of it is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I always thought Bruce is giving you these rules in the open mic, one, to see if you can follow rules, because he's about mm -hmm. to trust you with yeah. 400 people. And if I tell you to do something, I need you to do that. And I always thought it was very interesting. I would be back in that little hallway at the Broadway room, and Bruce would come in, very nice. Thanks for coming, man. This is going to be a fun night. Everybody have fun. And here's the rules. And people, he would leave, and people would be like, oh, man, I can't say fuck. And you're like, yeah. Buddy, he said no. It's his club. Like, figure out. By the way. There's not many jokes that rely on that one word. Right, right. Yeah. Like, you can add it. There's Surely there's some punchlines out there. I'm going to say, do seven minutes and follow these. He's going to – I always felt like you would respect somebody more if they followed the rules. Didn't really smash, but at least they were like, mm -hmm. I'm trying to, to fit into this room and work this club. Have you always – I feel like you get blowback for that. Or not blowback, but – No, I, I mean, no. It's is very, that true? It, 
with with that part, no, I don't get blowback. You either do it or you don't work. I mean, right. it's just I bet pushback from the comics, but yeah. Well, I know. but but here's 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 the big deal. What I say to people, you know, you get comics. I'm so funny. I'm this. I'm this. I'm this. I want you to pay me this. This. I said, listen. It's called show business. <laughs> right. No, really. But this is the bottom line. Here's the show. You got a great show. Everybody loves your show. You sold 12 tickets. I'm not going to pay you this much money for 12 tickets. It just doesn't work that way. It, mm. Nowadays, it's about selling tickets. It's a business. Yes. Right. You know, I mean... That's what it is. It's show business. So, you know, and a lot of times now, the new way we're going to do open mic is we're going to give them tools to promote themselves. So when they are doing a show, that they can get people to come out and do it. Because, you know, doing an open mic where there's eight other comics in there, that's that doesn't teach anybody Dude, I anything. Do them, I do them twice a week. They're miserable. <laughs> Tell them all about it, David. They, I'm, Zero. T- I'm telling you, nothing but other comics not listening to you. So you no, don't know so if your what, shit lands. So you don't know. So what's the point? Right. So What is the point? I'll tell you, a guy came and did a... a a thing this year that was kind of cool. It was kind of different. It was three minutes. That's all the comic got was three minutes. He had like 20 comics. They did three minutes. And in three minutes, I could tell you whether or not you're worth a crap. Right. You know, but it's better for the audience. You know, I mean, so we may try some stuff like that. It's just, finding, and I love getting new town. I love getting new guys up there, but to sit through eight minutes of open mic, lousy, Mm. Has the Broadway room saying, been closed for a while? No, it's open. I mean, we had Jay Anthony Brown in there last night. I got a show in there tonight. No, we we no, we do other shows in there. Do you? Yeah. Matt, what's your experience with open mics and Casio? <laughs> I've never been to one. You've never done one? <laughs> no. He started off on the top, fellas. I was 17 years old, and I went in Bruce's office, and I was like, I should headline, and he went, you know what? I fucking agree. <laughs> and that's just kind of how, uh, it, that's how it. it went for me. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I met him, and he asked me if I wanted a headline, and I told him what my pay was, and he said, you sold 12 tickets. <laughs> you were great. I, I do remember this, and I always love this. I've never seen you get mad. I've never seen you raise your voice. I have. <laughs> That's why I'm sitting over here. <laughs> One time, it was an open mic. I think I was hosting the open mic. And, you know, there's some people who are like, man, I am I want this. I want Bruce to watch. If he watches me, I want to move up to the, you know, that's that. it's a big thing. Yeah. Bruce is sitting there, and you can see Bruce looking at you. It's a big deal. That's got to be nerve-wracking, though, no? To have Bruce. Uh, some people, some people want it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you want him to see your sets. Well, you yeah, go, hey, I, I want to go over here to four hundred people instead of a hundred people. But <laughs> this guy, this guy goes up and he, I bring him on stage, and I, I always love that it's open mic and he's telling the sound guy that he's got cues, he's got a CD ready, oh, and yeah. I'm like, buddy, we're, you got seven minutes in front of ninety people. We probably shouldn't have sound cues here, right. but he. Does this? He plays the, uh, I don't know, it's a Superman theme or something. One of those classical music. But he, he talks about having sex and about how to open the door and all I hear is this music. So the sound guy hits music. And he talks about running and jumping in the bed 
Do you remember this? He ran this and jumped, jumped on the, on the table. table? Oh. <laughs> were, you were you there? I was, I, was, I was in the main room that night. Okay, so I was about to say, I remember you being there. I think we were I walked talking. up in the hallway, and I'm like, what is happening? And you were like, some dude jumped on the table. David, Jeff, at Bert, he ran, and he talked about getting excited, jumping into the bed with his girl, right? He jumps off the stage onto the front table of the open mic night. The people are sitting. Oh yeah, dinner, <laughs> drinks. What the hell? And he's like third. He's not. He's not twelfth. He's like third. Yeah. Boom! Table smashes like it's a wrestling match. Right. Drinks are flying. Ranches everywhere. So how did this go over? It's not good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And so he's he does this thing and he's like humping and he thinks he's crushing and it is. Not going well. The laughs are uncomfortable. Like, it's what is this guy doing? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. dying laughing, but for the wrong reasons, not for. And I just saw, I just saw Bruce. He came over afterwards. He's just waiting. Didn't say anything. Go ahead and wrap him up. Well, they give him the light. <laughs> so the guy leaves, and in his head, he's murdered this place. And we walk back in that little tiny hallway, and Bruce is like. Hey, man, thanks for coming, brother. You're not welcome back at my club. Thanks, man. And the guy was like, what? And I remember Dave was like, what is, it's chaos over here. What's happening? I can't believe you remember that night, because you've seen a thousand of them, a million of them. I I just remembered a Superman thing. It's a Superman theme, and he jumped on the table. It was nuts, man. Is that the craziest thing that you've ever seen at at an open mic? Some dude jumping on a table? Have you had many people? It's a huge stage. Have you had many people come on stage? Because I've seen that on. I've seen that on. Could you rephrase that? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. No, no, no. We need to know the answer to that. (laughs) If you're going to say that, (laughs) you have like nightclub years too, though. Because I remember talking. I sat in Atlanta one night, and it was like Depetta, Denunzio, and then I cannot remember his name. The guy that owned the jazz club next door, mm-hmm. who'd been there longer than the punchline. And I asked them, "They're crazy at night. They're, what's the craziest night?" And they're all telling their stories. And that dude just sat there, and then he just told some random Wednesday from like 1975. <laughs> and we're all like, "What in the hell?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm shocked by nothing now." <laughs> he threw a guy out. The guy snuck back in. They didn't know it, right? And they found out that the guy had snuck back in because while the band was playing, he fell from the ceiling onto the stage and knocked out the drummer. Because <laughs> he had snuck back in, gone into the liquor closet, stole a bottle of booze, climbed up in the ceiling, and was trying to still hear the band. It's a jazz club. Yeah. Isn't like that passion for jazz. <laughs> and had crawled his way over and had just been up there all night. He goes, I guess I've been up there all night. Just chilling, drinking a bottle. And then he passed out and rolled over. Off of the things you talked to the same. You've had to had to deal dealt with hecklers like like big dudes that oh. are heckling there. Do you have muscle to get their asses out of there? You just let the comics deal with Tony. it. Tony, no. Well, I, I, here's I'll give you an example of one. So this was uh, the the uh, the comic was John Morgan, buddy of mine, Raging Cajun, Raging Cajun, hilarious. But he wasn't even on stage yet. So the, this couple came in guy and a girl and they were intoxicated we didn't even serve them and so the uh, the guy yelled a couple of things out my manager tony went over and asked him to be quiet asked him to be quiet so then i was in my office and then john walks out and the girl yells something out and john says hey ladies put a sock in it so i'm in my office on the camera and i see this guy stand up and 
going to Tony. So I come running out of the office. And my whole thing, because I've been in this for so long, mm-hmm. is just take it down a notch. Right. Take it down. So I go to the guy and I go, listen, let's just go outside and talk. He goes, no, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to kick his fucking ass. I said, listen. <laughs> no, no, no we're not going to do that. Let's just, let's just go outside. He goes, no, fuck that. that. I ain't going to do it. So then he starts going and I grab him and I swear to you, I just put him on the ground. It wasn't aggressive, you know, like you're trying to kill a guy. So I get him on the ground. I'm holding him down. I go, listen, here's the deal. You got two choices. That's brave of you, by you, the way. What, this is what you do when you're if if you're a bouncer in a nightclub. Yeah. I could I could get into a whole. Yeah, but you're thing. the owner. Okay, but still, so I hold I hold <laughs> the guy I hold the guy down and I say, listen, either you get up, I let you up, and you leave, or I'm going to call the cops and you will go to jail. Oh man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So he gets up and he leaves. So you think it's over? Two days later. I get a letter from his lawyer that he missed work. He's got this and this and this, and it went up costing. I could have I could have fought it or paid him fifteen hundred dollars. He's got a dislocated pinky he can't or come. something. So that's the kind of shit yeah. that yeah. would happen. But back in the, the the nightclub days, the one bouncer you didn't want to have, you didn't want to have that big bull guy. Because if you have that guy, that guy's always going to try to show everybody how strong he is. Right. And it affects the temperament of the room. Of, every, of, of everybody else. But this was in when we had the discos and all that other stuff in the cowboy bar. You know, when we had the cowboy bar, if they got in the fight, my goal was just to bring it down until the cops got there. But, you know, we used to have a lot of that. But it would just be get them on the ground. You're going to go to jail. Right. Or... And then, you know, I don't care how drunk you are when you're going to go to jail, <laughs> and it usually would stop them. So, yeah. you know, but <clears throat> we didn't have, I mean, we have people, you know, the usual case in a comedy club, when people are talking, here's how it goes. <clears throat> you're at a table, and all these people are talking, rah, 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 and you go to them, hey, can you keep it down? You know, we're, we got a show going down, and they're going... We're just laughing. <clears throat> then we came here to laugh. Can't we just laugh? I go, no, you just You're really talking. need to keep it down. Yeah. <clears throat> then then you then they calm down. Then you go back over again because everybody's complaining. And then you tell them they got to leave. And then because you don't want to embarrass them. <clears throat> but it gets to the point that if you don't make them go. It's ruining everybody else's. else's. Yeah. Or you ruin their night because they screwed it up, and then usually you get a round of applause by the audience Yeah, you <clears throat> when they're leaving. Yeah. But, you know, you hate when that happens, but it is what it is, but it doesn't happen as much as it used to. Oh, Matt will light their ass up. They, what are you talking about? I've never oh, yeah. had a heckler before. <laughs> well, man, uh, yeah, he brings his own heckler in. He's on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce, man, I want to take the time to thank you so much for fun. coming and hanging out with us here sure. at X5. God, we could go this. forever. we yeah, got to have you back in. We we absolutely, absolutely have to have you back, man. I know you've got even more stories you can tell. I know Matt's probably got a ton of them he could pull out of you, but uh, I know you're a busy man and you have things to do. And like I said, we just we just want to thank you so much, man, for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you so, you so know, much for inviting me. Yeah, man, we'll definitely cool. we'll definitely have you back. We're gonna wrap this one up. We'll save that for all your other stories for another episode. Uh, before we get out of here, want to do a little house cleaning here. Make sure you rate, view, and subscribe. 
and comment on this episode what's the best who's the best comedian you've ever seen and don't feel obligated to say Casio tell us the best comedian you've ever seen at the stardom and uh, leave a message down below and we will see you guys next week thanks for tuning in we love you Good.